You're listening to The Profile. Hello and welcome to The Profile podcast. I'm Andy Peck. For the past 17 years, I've been interviewing leaders in the church and the wider culture. In the coming weeks, you'll be hearing the best of these conversations, plus some brand new ones as well. It was leadership expert John Maxwell who famously said, leadership is influence. Some have massive influence through their role as a leader of a church or business, a charity or a family. Others have influence in their neighbourhood, a network of friends or through leisure interests. It's our prayer that these conversations will help you in whatever spheres you have influence. This show is brought to you by Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. Get full online access and the print magazine every month by becoming a subscriber. See special offers available now at premierchristianity.com. Imagine you are in church on a Sunday and towards the end of the service, the pastor or vicar says, before we close, I have an announcement to make. I appreciate this may come as a bit of a shock, but after prayer and consultation, I believe it's right to accept a call away from serving here. Of course, you might respond in a number of ways, depending on whether you have enjoyed his or her ministry. But you know that this statement will have many ramifications for your church community. Perhaps you recall the last time there was a vacancy. In a leadership transition in a church setting, if it's managed poorly, people leave the church. Income drops and whoever comes in next has to deal with a lot of mess before they can function. And similar parallels play out too with charities and with businesses. Well, I welcome back to the leadership show this week, Lee Critcher, to talk about his new book, which aims to help Christian leaders, and especially those in church leadership, think through how to manage this leadership transition. His book is called Seamless Pastoral Transition, Three Imperatives, Six Pitfalls. So lovely to welcome you back to the leadership show, Lee. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, so when you were on the show before, you'd written the book uh, For a New Generation, a practical guide for see- saving your church from extinction. Uh, and that's still available on archives, so people can find that if they wish. Uh, you had uh, been brought back to a church that you knew to to help them. They were declining in numbers and uh, had quite an elderly congregation, and you helped change the service around and things. Um, what are you doing now, Lee? Well, um, almost four years ago, I handed that church off to my successor, and um, and he is doing a fine job in leading uh, the congregation. And that congregation had turned from an aging, dying church during the 15 years that I had a chance to serve it to a um, to a growing and healthy multi generational church. And so, I'm pleased to say that four years later, it's still in that. Um, in that situation, that's a good description of the church uh, under new leadership. And so Excellent. what happened, I started working with a nonprofit I started, Future Forward Churches, to help leaders who are going through either church revitalization or leadership transition. And then I also was recruited by a nonprofit organization in the Pittsburgh area to lead called the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation. So um, I'm uh, quite 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 busy and very happy with where I am. Excellent, excellent. So clearly the, the book title is a Seamless Pastoral Transition, Three Imperative Six Pitfalls. Uh, you need to define seamless for us, of course. Seamless, very, very simply, 
it's saying there's this trend among churches that as opposed to there being an interim or a gap between permanent pastors, that there is an overlap between the outgoing pastor and the incoming pastor. And that transition then becomes seamless. There is no gap in time. And as a result, whatever momentum and positive um, things that are happening around the mission of the church tend to be less interrupted um, because of the leadership transition. And the congregation gets to see uh, the blessing of the outgoing pastor on the incoming pastor. And so seamless just means that the last day of the outgoing pastor is preceded by the first day of the incoming pastor. Excellent. And how's the book arranged, Lee? What, what do you do in the book? Well, primarily we talk about leadership transition in church history, or I write about that, which shows that it's never been easy. Um, even, even as early as the book of Acts, you see this unanimity in spirit when they were choosing Paul and Barnabas to go out on the mission field, choosing leaders. But a few chapters later, Paul and Barnabas had such a severe disagreement about Mark that uh, you know, and you say, well, aren't these two spirit-led people? Well, good intentions and the leading of the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily lead to uh, good choices around leadership. And that follows through all of church history. Uh, I, I look at the most extensive example of a leadership transition in the scriptures, and that's uh, the description of the handoff from Moses to Joshua, and draw from that certain imperatives that I've also noticed in the case studies, I did ten, looked at 10 case studies uh, of churches of various denominations that had a seamless leadership transition. And almost everyone pointed to one or more of those principles that emerge out of the whole story between Moses and Joshua. So that's pretty much how it lays out. It's around some very practical case studies of what went well, actually, and then a list of pitfalls of what happens when it doesn't go well. Sure. Um, certainly by observation, I think churches where leaders have been there a long time um, have struggled to hand on to other people. Uh, certainly in the US, there have been some notable examples of that, and certainly in the U UK as well. Uh, would that be your observation, that that's particularly tough, maybe if someone's been there 20 years? Of the case studies that I did, um, most several of the pastors were there more than 15 years. Okay. And so, but they had this deep-seated commitment to set up the church for success with a new leader, um, with the board or the bishop's support. And so I don't think it's longevity. Uh, I do see that in those churches where it's worked well, that the church typically has had a very positive relationship with the outgoing pastor, and that the church has at least positive momentum. They're not ready to close their doors. And as a result, that outgoing pastor's commitment to leave the church in good hands is something that is both honored and tends to work out. Uh, as long as that leader avoids again, some of these common pitfalls that uh, are, are pretty a pretty good thread that you see among these stories that didn't go well. Well, we'll come to the pitfalls a bit later, Lee, but um, uh, you, the churches you include had some common characteristics. You alluded to one of them just then, that it, you know, these ch were churches that were going okay. Um, any other common characteristics we need to note? Well, I think 
there's a theory among church tra transitions or pastoral transitions that if a church loses a pastor for any reason, that that church is sick, it's ailing, it is lost, and therefore it needs to have a period of time to refine who they are, define their mission, get an interim pastor to heal them. And uh, so that's just an assumption that's uh, incorrect for many churches. So the churches that I did case studies of were churches with positive momentum. They weren't lost. They weren't looking for their mission. They had a clear DNA. They were making a difference in the community. And many of them did not want to go and start from scratch to learn a new mission or a, a new direction. They felt like, why we don't want this to be interrupted. We're in a good shape. And they also had a positive relationship with the outgoing pastor. So um, churches that have a bad relationship with the outgoing pastor for whatever reason aren't going to be anxious to include the outgoing pastor in the process of helping to find a replacement. Um, the, the next generation leader. But nevertheless, those seem to be, in other words, these aren't churches that were in steep decline in any way. They were churches that were really making a difference in their community, and they had this passion to keep it rolling. Yeah, certainly in the UK, often the case is that a, a new pastor might come in to the church, introduce change. Uh, it's resisted sometimes. They They move on, and then the next guy comes in, or woman, and, and introduces other changes. And after a while, the membership just become very weary and think, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go with whatever it is because it'll change again. Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems with the incoming pastor is when they come in with an attitude of, hey, there's a new sheriff in town. And so out with the old, in with the new, whatever this past person did, you know, I can do better. And it may not be voiced in that way, but things go so much better when that incoming leader says, let's build on the amazing things we've got going here at the church. I'm so grateful for my predecessors and uh, let's build on it from here. We're listening to the leadership show. I'm talking with uh, Lee Critcher. We're looking particularly at uh, seamless pastoral transitions, uh, three imperatives, six pitfalls, which is the title of his book. Um, so uh, we've already started to look a little bit at the imperatives in your view lee but um maybe you could outline the three imperatives that are uh, that you list in your book yeah and i think you can outline them looking at that leadership transition from moses to joshua um one is share leadership and uh, early in his you know after they uh, were about to enter the promised land moses was really not a share leadership kind of guy he would, and when his father-in-law came to visit, Jethro said, hey, what you're doing is not good. Moses was there all day and all night listening to the people's issues and solving them. And so first, I often wonder what Moses felt when his father-in-law was critiquing his leadership. Uh, I would have thought, you know, uh, hey, dad, uh, I did lead the people out of Egypt. I parted the Red Sea. I have the Ten Commandments. Are you sure you want to critique my leadership? But actually, Moses listened to his father-in-law, and he began to raise up other leaders in the form of judges, and he started to share leadership in a meaningful way with people like Joshua and Caleb. And so when it came time to hand off the leadership role, he did so to one of those leaders who he had shared leadership in a meaningful way with, and that was Joshua. He paved the way. 
Joshua didn't have to go before the people and say, hey, I promised Moses wanted me to lead. No, in a very public way, Moses raised up Joshua and commissioned him before the people. And I think most importantly, on both parts, we see this third principle of modeling humility. And Moses could have easily said, no one can follow me. And so just dismiss the idea that someone could lead like he led. But now he honored and respected Joshua. And Joshua did the same. Joshua did not come in and say, uh, hey, you, you thought Moses' commandments, those 10 commandments were good. Well, we're going to dismiss those because I've got 12 that are really better. Uh, no, he built on everything that Moses had done. And so that mutual respect takes humility. And that's probably one of the greatest of all the imperatives that leaders, and we sh- we would think that Christian leaders would model humility well, but not really. Yeah, well, sa- sadly, as you say, that is something that's often lacking. And inappropriately, there's sometimes jealousy. People don't want to be followed by someone better than them necessarily, you know, which is a very human, but sadly, you know, it ought to be, we ought to be about better things than that, but nevertheless, that's the way, the way it is. Um, now you look at, uh, we may not have time to look at all the six pitfalls. Uh, maybe you could list the pitfalls and then we'll maybe explore one or two of them, uh, Lee, if you've got the, the pitfalls yeah. there. Well, the book focuses on leadership transitions that went well. Clearly, there are many that don't go well. And I find that here are some of the pitfalls that are reasons why. The outgoing pastor stays too long. The outgoing pastor hands off the baton without taking another. So all of a sudden they're lost without this mission and they can't keep their hands off. They can't really do a good handoff. The outgoing pastor tries to choose a clone. They fail to address financial realities. Um, Both the outgoing or incoming pastor may dismiss the need for a detailed transition plan. And then... Often the outgoing pastor actually tries to undo the transition, which is very tragic for for them and the church. If you had to isolate a couple of those that you think were the most injurious, would it be possible to isolate two? Well, I think one common one is choosing a clone and where the leader says, well, things have gone well under my leadership, so therefore the next leader should be just like me. And so... You know, that comes to male and female choices. It comes to stylistic choices. Uh, but I think it's it can be drawn to when David raised his hand and said, I'll fight Goliath. And Saul pretty much said, okay, you can do it as long as you wear my armor. Yes. And, you know, David tried it on. He said, I can't. I'm, I can't wear this armor. And I think sometimes outgoing pastors, they want to make that next person wear their armor and be them. And it's really almost, uh, you know, when you try to control it in that way, you end up losing. I mean, even David, when, when, when you know, um, the prophet Samuel came to pick the next king, David wasn't even in the lineup. Yeah. And yet that was God's choice. So when we approach it from a clone perspective, chances are we'll miss God's choice for that next leader. And of course, in Saul's case, um, he was incredibly jealous of of David, who yeah. you know was 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 more victorious in the battles, etc. And that was obviously part of the whole ongoing narrative, which you know sadly played out so so poorly in in Saul's life. And and that's why there was not a seamless transition from Saul to David. It, it took the death of Saul for David to ascend to the throne. 
Uh, but you look at David and Solomon, I know his father and son, but that was an example of a seamless leadership transition, which was a blessing to the nation. You talk also the other pitfall, um, Lee, of, of a detailed plan. Um, perhaps you could outline what that kind of looks like and, and why that's a potential pitfall. I think specifically outgoing leaders and pastors, and I've seen this in business and also in nonprofits and churches, the outgoing leader understands that a time needs to come when they need to hand things off. Challenge comes when you have a detailed plan where you put a date on it and you say, as of this date, I will no longer be in this role and my successor will be in that role. And without that, there can be all kinds of misunderstanding. And uh, two, you know, two of the case studies I was involved with, the, out, the incoming pastor said, okay, if you just want to have a rolling retirement date that is never identified, I've got a lot in me and I'll just go to another church and serve. And so that very often uh, happens. And one particular case study, it's not in the book, but there was an outgoing pastor who had a, appointed his successor, who is much beloved by the congregation. And when the successor, when that pastor was in his mid-70s, uh, said, is there a date that we have to aim for? He said, just the fact that you're asking for this date means that you're not my successor. And he dismissed him from the staff. No. And now this, person, this person's approaching 80 now um, with a declining church. And that other pastor moved on and is leading a dynamic church in the city. It's, um, you know, so without the willingness to have a detailed plan. And then in that plan, you build in things like who's going to preach, who's going to lead board meetings, who's going to lead staff meetings. And so it's that plan, if it's over an 18-month period, for instance, um, you have this approach, he must increase. I must decrease, he must increase, like John the Baptist said. And so you're actually handing off more and more responsibilities during that time frame in a very detailed and planned out way that, that the board or the bishop supports and approves. Sure. Uh, Lee, one uh, option, of course, for a successor is the person who's been an assistant or an associate uh, pastor. Um, have you any view on the likelihood of that being an appropriate successor or or the the pitfalls of that? I'd say probably over a half of the time that was the case in the case studies I did. It's someone who the congregation knew and loved and respected. And, you know, the plan was made with that person in mind. And in every case, those handoffs have been successful. You just can't assume that that's true. So, for instance, in the Anglican Church that um, that we studied, the the incoming pastor was hired from hired externally because the associate pastors were just were not chosen by their um, their committee or their board or the bishop. And so that incoming pastor, but they still made it a seamless transition over about a two month period. The outgoing pastor served while the incoming pastor served at the congregation. And it was very, very clear that that incoming pastor was coming in with the blessing of this beloved outgoing pastor. The other situation, Lee, that sometimes occurs is that the outgoing pastor is nearing retirement age and 
sticks around in the congregation for a while or maybe leaves for a year and then comes back or something like that. Any thoughts on that arrangement? Um, I'm still in the church where I used to pastor, uh, and my role there is to be a, a prayerful cheerleader. And that's my only role. I attend no board meetings. I attend no staff meetings. I accept no um, questions about what the new pastor is doing or is not doing. And uh, I think every every church member has a decision. Are they going to be a critic or an encourager? And I have chosen to be 100% encourager. And I've seen that in several congregations, but that needs to be understood pretty clearly up front um, that, that that's the role that that outgoing pastor is going to take because they are loved and people will look at them. And so I, I really think that the handoff needs to be very clear and final for that person to keep worshiping there. But I would not make a rule that they should or shouldn't. You know, it's it's situational. I guess it depends to some degree on the, the temperament of both parties. Exactly. Um, you, you need a, a very strong-minded incoming pastor who's comfortable in their own skin and they're not looking over their own shoulder. And you also need someone like yourself who's gracious and a cheerleader rather than a critic. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think when ministry, the average age was about 65 where the handoff took place in the case studies I did. And 65 is very young. You know, you have so much more to give. And so the outgoing pastor having a distinct ministry that's not tied to the church is very important um, or a distinct role in which they're using the gifts that God has given to them. Um, Lee, in the UK, there may be a slightly different approaches depending on the denomination as to how uh, a church looks to appoint someone else. And I guess it's more typical that, they, that there isn't a, a transition. There isn't a, a handover, someone who hands in their notice uh, and the congregation have to find a new pastor. I appreciate this is going a little bit beyond what your book is hoping to do, namely seamless transitions. But I'm just wondering if you've got any thoughts on the do's and don'ts of that stage of a search committee and a profile and all that, that that's going to help uh, a congregation. There'll be the church leaders, uh, volunteer, as it were, uh, lay leaders listening who are in that position. They're having to appoint someone. Uh, what would be the things that they need to look out for in making that appointment? Well, I think uh, two things that really stick out to me. One, I grew up in a Lutheran church in which there would always be an interim. There'd always be a search committee. The outgoing pastor was forbidden to have anything to do with the search committee or the incoming pastor. Um, but that was created in a day when people went to church and they said, this is my church for life. Whether I have a good pastor, a bad pastor, or no pastor, this is my church for life. Well, those days are long gone. So we can't assume that what worked in the past. I would just say that at least half of the case studies I did had a search committee. In every one, they involved, with the blessing of the bishop, the outgoing pastor. And that person either was a coach to the team, um, they interviewed the incoming pastor. The idea that somehow the outgoing pastor should be excluded from the process is the assumption that this person has bad motives or this person you know, cannot 
you know, doesn't care as much about the future of the church as these lay people who are on the committee, none of whom really know. I've never met a lay person who understands what it is to be a pastor full-time. Never, as, as much as they love their church. And so why, why take out of the equation the outgoing beloved pastor who obviously cares about his congregation? And so I would just say that should be something that is strongly considered, even though, again, in every case study where that outgoing pastor was involved that I did, it was forbidden by church policy for it to happen. But with the blessing of the bishop and the board, um, they were involved, and it it went much better than it might have otherwise. In, in some settings here, uh, Lee, and the sorry, I say here the the UK, um, the there is a process of what they call preaching with a view. So the first time the congregation will. Um, will meet or hear the individual will be when they come and preach. Uh, and then they, they take a view on whether on the basis of that preaching, they wish to have further conversations. I mean, that's not the only way, but that's mm -hmm. certainly a common way within some settings. Um, what would be your wisdom on the kind of way in which connection is initially made and the kind of um, opportunities that someone might have whether preaching or something else, that enables a congregation to get to know someone? Um, it's becoming more challenging, that approach. And one local bishop told me the average time between permanent pastors is between two and three years because the number of candidates that are out there has dropped somewhat dramatically. And when that assessment is made based on that person's best message, which is, of course, what they're going to bring to the table. Um, and the congregation at some point becomes very tired of not having a pastor. And so in that situation, I've seen a lot of times where relatively rash decisions are made. Not, I wouldn't say out of desperation, but certainly out of a desire. Let's just get somebody in that role. Um, so I, I would just say that it's time for denominational leaders to reconsider these approaches that grew out of a time when churches were quite different, their health and stability than what they are now. And to really say, is there is there a way to involve that outgoing pastor in this process? And, you know, and for the congregation perhaps to see an overlap between the outgoing pastor and the incoming pastor or rector so that um, so that there is this sense of continuity in the congregation. Um, so, Lee, you've, the book has been published. Any uh, initial feedback from from folk? Yeah, it's been it's been great. I've had a lot of conversations with pastors who are in their fifties or even sixties and say, "Wow, there's a lot of things here that I really need to pay attention to." And uh, actually, in a couple of weeks, I'll be in Florida visiting with a nonprofit organization where there is an outgoing leader passing off to an incoming leader. And they saw that the principles in this book, although they're focused on pastoral transition, were absolutely, you know, applicable to their situation as well. So um yeah, it's great. It's open doors for a lot of uh great conversations with outgoing and incoming leaders. Excellent. Well, we very much appreciate you being on the show today. And uh uh We'll uh, I'll, at the end of the show. I'll give details as to how people can access the book. Uh, so you have a website, so we'll mention that. And um, 
uh, you know, people can get a, get access to it and learn from it. Uh, and so thank you for doing the research that hopefully will mean that uh, if, if and when a congregation hears the news that their pastor's moving on, it won't be such a shock uh, and lead to a decline in the church. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Andy. It's been a pleasure. That was my conversation with Lee Quitcher, the author of the book, Seamless Pastoral Transition, Three Imperatives, Six Pitfalls. You can access free resources related to church leadership transition and church revitalization at the website futureforwardchurches.com, futureforwardchurches.com. And of course, purchase the book uh, via the internet. I noticed that the Kindle edition is available quite cheaply. So this is Andy Peck thanking you for your company and looking forward to connecting again very soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.